0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, July 26th. A retired RCMP officer has been charged with foreign interference. We get details on the investigation and its significance from Phil Gursky, former member of CSIS and president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting.
1: And the first ever North American four-day work week pilot program has now concluded. We take a look at the results and the biggest takeaways from the trial with Grace Tallon from the Work Time Reduction Center of Excellence.
0: Yesterday, William Miker, a retired RCMP officer, appeared before a B.C. court on foreign interference charges. Joining us to discuss the issue and its significance is Phil Gursky, president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. Good morning to you, sir.
2: Good morning. How are you?
0: Good, good. Can we start with a little background on who William Miker is and uh, what he's been accused of?
2: Right, so clearly here's a man who had a very long career with the RCMP is my understanding. He had worked on a number of files, including some undercover work. Uh, I believe he's been retired from the RCMP for quite some time, and like a lot of uh, former RCMP, just like myself, being former CSIS, who are go, go out in our own business kind of thing. He tried to use the skills and the knowledge you've learned to maybe make a go of it in the private sector, which is what he seemed to have done. And then all of a sudden, now we see that in fact he has been collaborating or duped into collaborating with the People's Republic of China, which of course in Canada now has been you know the sort of the soup of the day in terms of foreign interference. So. Here's a guy that's found himself um, dealing with people he probably should not have. Uh, whether or not he should have known is an interesting question. But, of course, now he's been charged. And My understanding is that he's, he's been uh, received bail already. So we'll see where this whole case goes, I guess.
1: So, I mean, what implications can something like this, this have on Canada-China relations as a whole?
2: Oh, well, can it get any worse? Yeah. We've had so many accusations. So, you know, in my time at CSIS, where I I personally focus on, focus on counterterrorism, but of course part of the mandate is counter espionage and counter-foreign interference, we've been warning the Canadian government of this for, for 30 or 40 years and successive governments, be they liberal or conservative, have ignored us. In fact, they've accused us of being racist, at least in terms of the liberals. This isn't a new threat. It's been going on for a very long time. And uh, I think it's time that governments took it seriously as opposed to ignoring it or thinking that, uh, you know, we're making something up here at CSIS and the RCMP. This is a serious threat to our democracy. Um, Dissidents have been harassed and threatened. We've had the allegations of interference in foreign elections. I'm not sure how worse it can get.
0: I just want to play devil's advocate here, Phil, and you mentioned with your background in CSIS and, uh, you know, after retirement, doing something with your skill set further down the line outside of your organization. And you mentioned, you know, he was doing this sort of work. Could there be a chance that this was unintentional, that he was taken advantage of? Or, you know, since we see these charges, uh, is there more into it that uh, the lawmakers know about?
2: Yeah, that's a a great question. I, I, I raise the possibility of having been duped because I think the Chinese definitely didn't pick him out at random. They would have known about his background, known about his skill set, his experience with the RCMP, and China's doing this for a reason. They obviously want to gain insider information on how we do things so that perhaps they can learn on how to, you know, deflect our investigations on them. So but the fact that charges have been laid seem to suggest that at least there's some kind of information suggesting he did work with the Chinese. I guess it's up to the you know, up to the court case to prove wasn't in fact something that he sought out or was he, as I said, an innocent dupe and it, or somewhere in between. But it, it's a great question to ask because we don't have enough details right now on on the actual on the allegations of what he was actually doing
1: duped or otherwise phil i mean spying's been going on since the beginning of time and likely will continue how how do you how do you keep control of something like that what kind of policies or measures maybe need to be put into place to stop this kind of thing from happening again or is that even possible
2: well, you're right. It's often been called the world's oldest profession or second oldest. I forget which one is, yeah. you know, comes one or two. But there's no question it's been going on for a very long time. I, I'm not sure if there's policies per se that we need. I think what we need are two things. One is we need, we need to make sure that the RCMP and CSIS have adequate resources to investigate this. So within the CSIS mandate, uh, foreign espionage interference are the two, the, sort of the two of the three main threats that CSIS looks at and they're understaffed, or so the RCMP. So make sure there's enough money and people to do this. Secondly, when we come up with information suggesting persons, X, Y, or that have done this, uh, we need governments to take this seriously, as opposed to ignoring us or accusing us of being racist kind of thing. So I blame governments for, for basically saying, you know what, this isn't serious enough. We don't have to worry about it too much, and we don't have to prosecute. So hopefully this case will shed more light on what China does and how it does it, and you know, convince the Trudeau government that there's uh, serious action to be taken here. And uh, at number one, listen to your intelligence services. They've been telling you these things you know, for your benefit now for the better part of four decades.
0: Well, you know, uh, we we know that this is not an issue exclusive to Canada. We know that there are bad actors, the the Chinese and and others, uh, trying to infiltrate, use information and glean, uh, you know, different uh, bits of info from different countries. Uh, But are we more wide open than these other countries, Phil? Or do we see that other countries have more of a secure grasp on their intelligence and their uh, citizens?
2: Great question. I, you know, <laughs> shameless self-promotion. I had a, an op-ed come out in Post Media yesterday. One problem we have in our country, I think, Andy, is that we have a very poor intelligence culture. And what I mean by that is that governments don't understand intelligence. They don't know how to use it. They don't resource it properly. I think some of our allies, the Americans, the Brits, for example, have a much greater understanding of what intelligence can do for a country in terms of decision-making and policy creation. I think we have to get more serious about intelligence here. And maybe that does make us an easier target, because we don't we don't take it as seriously and we, we underman and under it so that we don't have the agencies in a position to be able to investigate this to the fullest, the fullest extent possible.
1: Do you think Phil, should we be concerned as an average citizen about things like this? Is this something that we need to worry about? Or is it more that the government needs to get on board and take things like this seriously?
2: All Canadians have to take, take this seriously because you know, Nations like China will target whomever they think is in a position to help them. That involves, as I said, dissidents that maybe they want to threaten. It involves Canadians, not just like myself or colleagues who worked in law enforcement or security, but if they think you have something to offer, they can target you. So I've I've always, always argued for a greater education. Of this type of material for average Canadians, unfortunately, organizations like my former organization, sees this, um we're always secretive. We don't we don't disclose a lot publicly. But if you don't give the public an understanding of what they need to look, need to look for. Um, they won't be ready if it possibly happens to them. So, you know, one reason that when I retired, I've been so open with you guys in the media, is to try and give Canadians a bit of an insider look into how this stuff works and and why it's important. So I would advocate these agencies have to at least do a a bit more homework and a bit more effort in giving Canadians at least a bit of information so they're not so innocently, you know, picked upon by nations like China in the future.
0: Great chat and very timely. Thanks for your time, Phil. We appreciate it.
2: My pleasure, guys. Have a great day.
0: You too. That's Phil Gursky, president and CEO, Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. I don't know. I mean, I think that, yeah, the average citizen, maybe you and I, maybe not so much. But if you run a, a major company and look at look at Calgary with our all of our head offices, mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to, to get the it ear of uh, yeah, a Suncor or a Synovus or a Sh- I'm not even sure. There's so many major companies here to kind of infiltrate that. In a nefarious way and the leverage that we're, I don't know. It's just a weird time that we live in.
1: It really, like this sort of seemed that it was all, you know, a part of history until, I don't know, a handful of years ago when we started hearing about spying again and espionage. But it's, I mean, it's always been there, I suppose. It's just not something that was ever really in the forefront until we started talking about Russia again. Yeah. Yeah. And now China, particularly.
0: Yeah, and especially like you know, for example, Russia. I thought that ship had sailed a long time ago, but very much still a threat, very much something that we should be concerned about. And hearing what Phil Gersky was saying there, uh, it sounds like between CSIS and RCMP raising these flags. Look over here. Yeah. Forty years, he mentions that this has been brought up. What, where, where are we getting this wrong? Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean to me, it's a communication. Uh, issue because if, if the head of CSIS or the head of the RCMP has this info and is not getting it to the to the appropriate channel, are they not getting it or are the others ignoring it?
1: It seems strange, doesn't it? It's like we, we're not, we, do we have to just be little innocent Canada forever? Can't we just stand That's up and say, come on, let's go, let's be a little tougher? Yeah, be, toughen up listen, Canada.
0: We don't have the military might. We talked about this yesterday about our 2% GDP that should be or ratcheting it up to 2% for, for NATO. Great. But shouldn't we be able to at least afford, you know, uh, the right intelligence equipment and the computers to to handle these well, sorts of things? You would espionage. Think you
1: would think I don't know. You would think
0: a four day work week pilot project in North America has concluded. Joining us to discuss the results is Grace Talon, head of operations at work time reduction center of excellence. Good morning to you, Grace. Good morning. Can you uh, set the scene for us and tell us where and how long this uh, pilot project and how many companies perhaps took part?
3: So, interestingly, this was um, conducted over a 12-month period. That's different to the last results we saw. You might have been familiar with a a very large pilot project in the UK, and that was conducted over a six-month time span. So, this is really interesting because we followed the companies over a 12-month time period. Now, these are 41 companies um, across the UK and Canada, and the results are overwhelming. Revenue is up 15%, work intensity is down, working hours are decreasing, burnout is down. You know, I could go on. The results are phenomenal.
1: Do you have anything specific to Canada then? I mean, you know, that you can talk about sort of numbers wise of what Canadian
3: respondents shared? So really interestingly, you know, companies like, for instance, Practice PR, who are a, communications company, pure company, that, you know, traditionally we see these companies working, you know, all the hours that God sends. They're working often 10 hour days. This company has seen a significant um decrease in burnout and, and uh, a significant increase in mental health. They are running their shorter working week where employees, some may take a Monday off, some may take a Friday off. It looks different in a lot of companies. What We think of, when we think of a four-day week, we often think of a three-day weekend, and that's not necessarily the case. And practice is a great example of how they've made that work for their company.
0: So when we say four-day work week, I think, uh, uh, Grace, we should, uh, you know, key into some of the finer points, that it's not working less hours, but working the same amount of hours, but in a four-day period. Is that right?
3: yeah so it, it may be four days and it may be it may be five shorter days so often when when I talk to, to people who are considering this and particularly when i when I speak to employees they sort of get a fright thinking how am I going to do this how am I going to get all this work done in less time but it's not about that it's fundamentally about redesigning your work day so this is really a change management project at, at the core of it so what we do in the work time reduction center of essence is we get into the organization get under the hood have a look and see where can you gain um, and it's really the employees that lead it and we see from the results it's the employees that gain I mean happy employees happy company the revenue is going up so you know um, it's, it's about looking at what can I pull back what meetings am I going to that I don't need to that's one example and, and there's many many in a work day So can you give us some more examples in terms of, you know, what it
1: might look like for, say we implemented it tomorrow, what might it look like for the average company?
3: Well, I suppose that's the really crucial thing. And, and we've seen different states in the US looking at legislating for this. And this is going to be something that is going to be really slow. And I think it's really important that it's slow. This is the study of 41 companies. A shorter working week isn't going to work for every company today. And certainly in the Work Time Reduction Centre of Excellence, that's not what we're calling for. You know, when, when we legislated for the five-day week, it happened after, you know, there was that was brought in across um, society before we brought it into legislation. So, I mean, when, when we talk to companies, often what they do as a first step is they just try to be more productive in their day. So they may not even reduce their working time. The first step on the roadmap might be, let's just have a look and see what can we pull back? What can we do better? Do we need to bring in new technology? A really nice example is, you know, often we think manufacturing, it's never going to work in manufacturing. But when when you speak to employees, they might say, well, if we got this new machine, we'd be able to do things faster. And that machine might cost, you know, if, if you spoke to the CEO originally, they might say, gosh, we definitely don't have that. There's no way we're going to invest in that. But when you look at turnover, absenteeism, sick days, really your bottom line, is, is probably going to improve if you invest in something like a new machinery um, and not specifically to, to manufacturing, but new technologies. And certainly we're looking at AI as a way to, really improve productivity in companies to support moving to a shorter work work week. But as I said, this is going to be slow. This is something that's just, you know, becoming part of the conversation now, which is wonderful. Um, And we want to keep that going. And the results that are released today really add weight to that and, and help us to drive this movement forward.
0: We're speaking with Grace Talon, head of operations at Work Time Reduction Center of Excellence. And and Grace, the glowing reviews that you're giving this, the results are there. These are your your views. We we have this pilot program, as you mentioned, 12 months that it went through. Uh, So with the glowing reviews, are there any negatives? Are there any drawbacks for these four-day work weeks? Or are there some industries that this simply would not work in?
3: But well, I don't believe that there are any industries that this won't work in. If you look at healthcare, for instance, today, how are they going to do that? They're going to have to increase their people. So there are difficulties, absolutely, um, but it's I don't believe that they can't be overcome. And I think that particularly in healthcare, we look at burnout huge you know we're losing we're losing people here obviously you can hear that i that i'm irish i hope Um, and we have the same issues in our healthcare system in ireland and and we certainly need to look at that and i think shorter working weeks is something we we can do and but but we absolutely have to increase people and so that's something that we need to look at so as i said i don't believe there are any industries it won't work in but i do believe it's 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 more difficult in certain industries and it will it will take um real imagination in order to make it work.
1: Is this something do you think coming out of the pandemic that workers just think is you know a part of that work life balance that we've come to expect now is is potentially a four day work week and
3: and getting it all done so that we can have a little more time to ourselves yeah i think so and something that has to be at the forefront of this conversation is flexibility because it's not just about a shorter working week it's about organizations you know factoring in flexibility when we look at working parents um you know the pandemic was very difficult for working parents not every working parent wanted to be at home um all the time that was that was very difficult for people to to juggle that so i think alongside a four-day week isn't going to change a bad culture it's not you know that flexible for some people It's not what everybody wants. I think flexibility has to be at the forefront of of the work time reduction conversation. Um, And each company has to look at how it can work for their people. Uh, And it's really their people that, that, that are the ones that are going to drive that and tell you how it's going to work. But absolutely, I think people have just said, look, we, we've had enough. And, and there's a better way of doing it as well. Just because we've always done it that way doesn't mean that that it's the, the right way to move forward. And I think, you know, certainly in Canada, I believe that Canada really values work-life balance. And I think, you know, Canadians can be at the forefront of this movement and, and, and really make a difference to, to the world.
0: Great stuff. Thanks for bringing this to our attention, Grace. We appreciate that.
3: Thank you for having me on. Pleasure.
0: It's Grace Tallon, head of operations at Work Time Reduction Center of Excellence. Great I think concept. The time has come. Mm-hmm. Um, for, it's interesting because, yeah, basically she said there's no drawbacks. You know, that she does not believe that one industry could not work this out, including healthcare. Uh, I want to say to you, um, you know, and here's your chance to take pot shots at <laughs> Sue and Andy. Um, I don't but think wait, we could. Just today. Because because we, we're Monday to Friday. Yeah, That's no. the structure. And, I mean, even if you work... You know, uh, uh, have a day off. We need consistency because some might have the Mondays, someone have the Fridays. There's probably other jobs, maybe government, where you need the consistency. I
1: don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it works everywhere. But I, th- I think you know, you can't blanket anything really. I think it's a great concept. I think if it could work in your company and it would make people more productive and you'd get happy employees and yeah. your company would. Pro, you know, profit from it financially or just in general, why wouldn't you look into it? Yeah, I think And if it, you don't think it's a good idea, then you don't have to do it. I guess that's the good part, right?
0: Well, in, and on on paper, it's one thing. But, yeah, the, this is a 12-month pilot project. Yeah. There was great success. As you We've know, been talking grace. about
1: this for oh, years yeah, absolutely. and years and years. Uh,
0: ramping up to that. It, yeah. And also, obviously, the, the conversation really blew up when it came to the pandemic. And totally. we just changed the way we work. And there's more acceptable ways either from home, the hybrid. Um, You know, job sharing. uh, And still to this
1: day, it's fallen out to that, right? Like, we don't want to give our lives to our companies anymore. That's the way we grew up, was you gave your life to that company, and what do you get in return? Because a lot of times, the company can't sustain, can't survive, and then you're done. So if you give every ounce of what you have, I I think you have to work hard, and you have to, you know, be passionate about what you do and and offer yourself up. But, you know, people want different things now. It's just not the same way anymore, and they want a life. Along with a job.
0: Employees are in the driver's seat right now, so yeah. maybe now's the time for those changes.